WORQ Green Bay Fox Cities. The following program is a presentation of Lakeshore Communications Inc. and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Lakeshore Communications Inc., its sponsors or donors. Three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up for the Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. I'm Crash Connell, and today it is a fresh new podcast. Monday, October 6, 2023. Got a first-time guest on Stand Up For The Truth. Here we've been going for about uh, 13 years now, and we've got a brand-new guest, and our host today, he's back in the studio, Scott Shera. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Crash. So I just wanted to throw this in here. Uh, Friday night's candlelight vigil for Grace was just awesome. It was a beautiful evening. It was uh, thanks for the invite. Well, you're very welcome. It was um, it was an honor to do it. It was neat to have all the stories and the remembrances mm-hmm. of Grace and Travis. And uh, it was um, that was a tough event, but it was really a nice nice to see everybody there and the support. Yes, it was an awesome event. Well, you got a great podcast today. Very exciting. We do. And I would like to open up the podcast in prayer with something that's on my mind because of grace. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for another opportunity to honor you. And specifically today, please guide the words of me and my guest, Dr. Artis, so that ears and eyes can be open to the truth that we are going to share today. And as you say in Genesis fifty twenty, what Satan meant for evil, you meant for good, for what is happening now, the saving of many lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I already spilled the beans. Dr. Artis is mm-hmm. my guest. And I'm going to share just a little bit of a bio because he, th- this man could have a bio that's 10 pages long, and of course I couldn't read that, but... What what I really like about what he wrote in his bio is it's short. So he jumped in. I'm just going to read the first paragraph and then turn it over to him. In early 2020, he lost his father-in-law because of the ill-advised hospital protocols. Since that time, he has been on a relentless mission to help educate the public about the hidden dangers of many of our, quote, institutes of health, end quote. And Jessica... Our daughter and I met Dr. Artis for the first time in February of 2022, and we had that common bond right away. We lost Grace. He lost his father-in-law. And so by way of of, uh, Dr. Artis introducing himself, I'd like to have you tell the story that got you into this fight. Yeah, it's great to join you again, Scott, and uh, love your family. And Of course, we do have that bond in common. Uh, of experience of losing someone we're very close to and uh, loved sharing life with being taken from us by uh, horrific circumstances inside of a quote-unquote institute of health called a hospital. Uh, But in February of 2020, my father-in-law walked into a hospital in Dallas, Texas, complaining of fever and a headache. He was 91 years old, but totally independent living, still very active, drove himself to the hospital, walked himself in there. And the reason why he went by himself is because his wife, my mother-in-law, who is still alive, she 
had fallen and broken her neck three days earlier and was in a rehab center right next to our home. So we had been visiting with her. He was alone living at home and took himself to the hospital uh, with complaints of fever and headache. When he entered, they admitted him, tested him, and told him that he had the flu. Uh, They started a hospital protocol for the flu. Uh, We were notified that night that he had the flu, and the rehab center asked my wife and I, who were visiting her mother, not to go to the hospital once they found out that her dad had the flu. They didn't want us going to the hospital, possibly bringing the flu back to this rehab center where there were a lot of elderly uh, clients and patients. So we agreed not to go there uh, for a couple days, Uh, but there were reports coming each day from the doctors where he was being treated for the flu. Uh, After 24 hours of being in the hospital being treated for the flu, we were contacted and called and told that he now had acute kidney failure and was diagnosed with pneumonia. And over the course of the next several days, we were called each day being told the same thing. His pneumonia is getting worse, his, his acute kidney failure is getting worse, and his urinary output is getting less. By day five, we were called and told that he was now unconscious and being put on a breathing apparatus. I went up to the hospital that night with my wife because there was nothing going to keep me from going up there uh, at this point, knowing that his health was deteriorating. Uh, we go up there, and uh, I find out that he's being administered a drug called vancomycin, which is an antibiotic which doesn't treat the flu, but it was hanging from the IV stand along with his IV fluids. And vancomycin just happens to be a drug I was aware of for about 20 years now, has a published side effect of causing acute kidney failure in a lot of the elderly that receive it. So here's my 91-year-old father-in-law, now I see for the first time, is being pumped five days' worth of vancomycin into his body that I know causes acute kidney injury, and he has been in acute injury since entering the hospital. So this was a very uh, a very upsetting moment for me, only to find out that he'd been on this drug, two other antibiotics, since day one, and it was all a part of the hospital protocol. Uh, I met with the doctors the next morning, demanded that they take him off that drug. They did take him off that drug, but before that, Scott, I made them tell me and show me What was the pathology report from day one? I wanted to see what was he testing positive for. They called and told us the flu on day one. I wanted to see the results. So I demanded the medical doctor in the room show me all of his medical records, only to find out he never tested positive for the flu. Actually, the flu tests were all negative. He also never tested positive for pneumonia. He was negative for both bacterial and viral pneumonia from day one. So then I looked at the doctor and I said, why did you diagnose him with the flu if you didn't test positive for the flu? And they said, uh, we thought it was a false negative. And I said, even if you thought it was a false negative test, you diagnosed him with a viral diagnosis, the flu. Why do you have him on vancomycin, which is an antibiotic for bacteria? And his response was, that's hospital protocol for the flu. And I said, Do you not read? The CDC has a document on their website right now that says you should never give antibiotics to somebody with a viral diagnosis. It can make their diagnosis and their symptoms worse, and it creates worse outcomes. And he said, this is just a part of the protocol. And Dr. Artis, when I brought this up, he goes, Dr. Artis, this is not the only antibiotic he's on. He's not just on vancomycin. He's also on two other antibiotics. And I said, Why? Viruses are not bacteria. Why are you treating them for a bacteria with three different drugs? 
I said, you're going to take him off that vancomycin because it causes acute injury uh, to the kidneys. And he agreed. <laughs> but before he did, he's arguing with me about not wanting to take him off of it because of the protocol and all the people being involved to change the narrative and the protocol. And I said, I don't care how many people you have to get in there. Get him off that drug. And then I said, how, how often are you giving him the drug Lasix, Scott, Shara? How often are you giving him Lasix? I said, because from the time I was here last night, his abdomen is 10 pounds heavier and larger than it was last night, which means he's retaining water, the same water that you're pumping into his veins called fluids or IVs. Wow. And he looks at me and he goes, we're giving him Lasix every single day. And I said, oh, really? Prove it. Show it to me. Now, the truth is, Scott, every time a medical doctor opens their mouth, I assume they're lying. And I've, done, I've been this way for 20-something years because they lied to me about my sister. They lied to me about my kids. They gaslight me with everything that ever happens to my children, as if it's my fault. It has nothing to do with the side effects of the drugs they're prescribing. In fact, a doctor prescribed my four-month-old one time, and he's 22 years old right now. At four months old, they prescribed him an antibiotic. He went into a grand mal seizure within two minutes of me giving him this oral antibiotic at home while he was nursing Two minutes into nursing, after having had the antibiotic, he goes into a grand mal seizure. I ran to the kitchen, called the medical doctor. The medical doctor told me the drug would have never caused a seizure. What did you do, Mr. Artist? Did you drop your baby or shake your baby to cause a seizure? And this is the kind of mentality I experienced a lot in the 26 years of being an adult that have really turned me to questioning everything an MD tells me. I will challenge them, and they have to show me. So I'm standing there, and I said, show me the Lasix, because I believe you're lying. In my heart, I didn't say anything. I just said, show me the medical records. So they go from day one, and as he's going through the medication list on the screen for my father-in-law, there is no Lasix, just antibiotic after antibiotic after IV of sodium chloride, salt water. Then the second one, second day, I said, he's reading down the list, and he's like, uh, no Lasix on day one. I said, you just told me you've given it to him every day since he's been in here. Show me day two's medication schedule. Day two, Scott, zero Lasix. Now he's getting real uncomfortable, and I'm getting more angry. And I said, show me day three. He shows me day three. There's 20 milligrams of Lasix. He's at least excited. And you can see he's, like, wiping his brow. Shoo. At least there's Lasix on day three. I said, now show me day four. Shows me day four. There's zero Lasix. Shows me day five, zero Lasix. Now we're at day six, the morning of day six, zero Lasix. And I looked at him, and I said, why'd you just lie to me? You've only given him Lasix once, 20 milligrams on day three. Get out there and get Lasix. He runs out to the nurse's station within a minute. They're coming in and administering IV Lasix for four hours. And Scott, he loses 20, he pees out 20 pounds of water. Now, at this point, he's been unconscious now for 48 hours and on a breathing machine. And then, or breathing apparatus, as I later learned, uh, like the venting ventilators they're using for people with COVID. But within four hours, he pees out 20 pounds of water. An hour after that, he becomes conscious. He's been unconscious for 48 hours. We've been told he's just gone into acute kidney failure. Water's on the brain now. He's not ever going to wake back up. He's probably going to be a vegetable. This is what we're being told. Within an hour of losing 20 pounds of water in four hours of Lasix administration, he wakes up, respiratory therapist comes in, takes him off of the breathing apparatus. We're all celebrating, thinking he's back to life and he's going to be just fine. They'd have him off the vancomycin drug, causing acute kidney failure. They now have the drugs going into him to pump out the water that they have not been doing for six days. 
I go home with my wife that night after visiting with him for an hour and a half, being excited uh, in his, you know, lethargic state of coming around after being in a coma for almost two days. He's very, it's, we're all very happy. We get home and elated. We get home within one hour. The nurse's station calls us to tell us the hospital administrators and doctors uh, have informed the nurses to call her, my wife, and tell her that the hospital has made some decisions. Two, one, they will no longer communicate with your husband. Number two, they will not continue the protocols the husband and the doctors worked with, that being me, that they worked to change today. We are going back on the original flu protocol he was on, and there's no exceptions. Uh, my wife, of course, is very upset because she has realized, like I did educating her, what was the cause of his demise. It was the drug protocols. Now she's learning over the phone. They're going to refuse to talk to me, and they're going to put him back on the original protocol. And she asked me, why would they do this to me and my dad? And I said, because they need to cover up the liability I just exposed. When I changed the hospital protocol, he got better. When we changed the protocol, he became conscious. Uh, we were able to show you, your mom, your siblings, and your dad that they were poisoning him to death. So now they need to finish him off. This is what I said. They need to finish him off, kick me out to try to hide the liability of the dangers and the toxicity of their protocol. We go up to the hospital the next morning, and yes, I went up there the very next morning at 8 a.m. The doctor shows up at 9 a.m. I challenged her in the hospital. I, I mean, in the ho right in the room, she asked me to come out in the hallway, and there was a very uh, emotionally charged, very loud, very challenging conversation between me and the entire medical staff in that hospital that led to me being kicked out of the hospital. They refused to talk to me, told the family that my recommendations were going to kill the father and the husband that my actions to change the medical protocols from the day before were leading to his demise when the whole family watched it revived him. So the brothers, the older brother and sister and the mother of my wife, she's the youngest, she's the baby in the family, all of them turned to the medical doctors and said, we're going to have to trust the medical profession. We don't know as much as Brian. And so that's when they actually brought up security, kicked me out, and within three days put my father-in-law and convinced my wife and her family he would not survive a transfer to another hospital that my wife was demanding. They sent like five people in the room to convince the family that there's no way he's going to survive a transfer. And this is how they scare the crap out of family members to get them to stay so they can finish him off. And the next thing they said out of their mouth was, it is time to put him on palliative care. We need to administer four and a half hours of morphine. And then this is the guise in which they lie to you. They tell you we're going to give them morphine to reduce their pain and suffering while he takes his last breath. No, they are physically poisoning him to death, paralyzing his diaphragm and his heart's ability to breathe with an opioid drug called morphine. And this is exactly what they did over four and a half hours. They paralyzed his diaphragm and his heart to the point he couldn't breathe anymore. They euthanized him in front of the family. And from then on, as you read my bio, Scott Shera, I have been on a relentless mission to educate and warn the public about the dangers that lie behind closed doors of ICUs and hospital rooms around the country and around the world called our Institutes of Health, because those Institutes of Health are actually incentivized to murder and to lie and, dece and to deceive. And it's not 100% of the time, but it's like 95% of the time they are lying to you. 
and the, the poor innocent and unindoctrinated and uneducated and those of us that were ignorant, believing ignorance was bliss, are finding out that there's massive amounts of tragedy, loss, emotional upset, anger, depression that you and I, both of our families, have experienced at the hands of these brutal institutions. Brian, thank you very much for that outstanding introduction. I'm Scott Shera. I am guest hosting Stand Up For The Truth today, and our topic is going to be the COVID scam and more with Dr. Artis as my guest. And with that wonderful introduction, I want to transition to how did you get involved with the remdesivir scam? So you're the one who began labeling remdesivir run death is near, which is the appropriate label because remdesivir, for those of you who don't know, has a 75% kill rate. Remdesivir is still an emergency use-authorized drug by the FDA. They announced it on May 11th, along with ventilators, both protocols, even though COVID is officially over, both protocols, ventilators with a 90% kill rate, remdesivir 75% kill rate, are still going. Uh, Our son-in-law had his mother go into a hospital in Tennessee two months ago. She was simply dehydrated. Within minutes, they wanted to put her on a ventilator. What's the reason? It's incentivized. It's part of the protocol. These protocols are designed to kill. In the remdesivir, uh, I mean, it, it's so shocking uh, that it's one of those things to me when I see the numbers and see what they're doing. It's like you can't make this up and you can't frame it in any type of logic until you realize they did this on purpose. So tell the story with remdesivir, if you would. Yeah, so after a yeah, great intro there, Scott, that really became my entire life for like two years, being known as the remdesivir guy worldwide. Uh, but what happened was, is for three months, I sat at home depressed, angry, and upset about this hospital taking my father-in-law's life and my inability to save him. And three months later, uh, living in Dallas, Texas, which is where I am still, uh, and experiencing this uh, tragedy. Three months later, into my d- depression, anger, upset, I didn't leave the house for three months. I wanted to murder somebody and one of the doctor's families at the hospital, let them feel what I felt, what my wife and family felt, uh, losing someone at the hands of another uh, who was not ready to die, and he was not ready to die. Uh, That's what I spent three months doing. And then I was kind of losing my mind, actually, just overwhelmed with uh, anger uh, and revenge, really. But three months later... I'm starting to watch and hear of of this thing called COVID-19. I don't watch TV, so you're hearing people talk about COVID and possibility of lockdowns around the world. You're hearing whisperings out in the public and via text and via conversations with people I knew. Uh, But I wasn't paying attention to it, so I decided to turn on the TV one day, and I watched 10 interviews on CNN, Fox, ABC, of them interviewing doctors at the hospitals in New York City in May of 2020. So this is three months later after my father-in-law was murdered. I'm watching these interviews, and in every single case, when they're interviewing these hospital administrators or medical doctors in New York hospitals, every single one of them said the same thing in every interview. When we're treating these novel new corona pneumonia patients in New York, we're seeing something we've never seen with any other respiratory virus before, Scott Shera. We have never seen a respiratory virus from the moment you start treating it move directly to the kidneys and cause acute kidney injury in less than 24 hours. But we're seeing a massive amount of patients whose kidneys are failing within 24 hours 
of us treating them for COVID-19. And every time I watched these, I would flip to the next channel. I was like, oh, my God, they're all saying the same thing. And I knew that the medical doctors were being honest, Scott, because respiratory viruses don't go from the lungs to the kidneys. That's not how drugs, that's not how viruses, that's not how life works. You don't inhale something and it go from the lungs to your kidneys. That is not the direct order. There's a whole lot of organs between there. Once stuff gets inside the bloodstream, it goes everywhere else before it gets to the kidneys. That's one of the last places. So as I'm listening to these interviews, I'm like, oh, my God, these people know the viruses don't do that. Only drugs do that. I just watched this whole scenario happen three months ago to my father-in-law. They diagnosed him with a virus, like these medical doctors in New York were diagnosing people with a virus, and within 24 hours, he develops acute kidney failure. And the medical doctors tell us that my father-in-law had developed acute kidney failure, and they didn't know why, when in fact it was a drug called vacomycin that put him in acute kidney failure, which was a part of a protocol for the flu at the time he went in the hospital. And they were hell-bent on staying on that protocol, which led to his death. So I'm watching these interviews, and I'm like, oh, my God, they must be giving all these COVID-19 patients in hospitals vancomycin like they gave my father-in-law. So so this is what I did. I went to CDC.gov's website. I wanted to know what's the hospital protocol these doctors in New York are using because they usually have it in national emergencies. They usually have them listed on a website somewhere. So I go to the CDC's website thinking it was going to be there because COVID's an infectious disease, and the CDC is the Centers for Disease Control. So I go to their website only to find out there's no single page on CDC's website in May of 2020 that had a COVID discussion except for one. And it was one page and it said, we do not have a hospital protocol for COVID. We have adopted the NIH's hospital protocol for COVID. Click here to be taken to the NIH's website. Click it and it takes me to the NIH's website that I've never been to before. There's one page and one page only on COVID, and it is a three-paragraph memo by a guy named Dr. Anthony Fauci at the top of the paper. And then it reads this sentence. COVID-19 hospitalized Americans can only be treated with an experimental drug called remdesivir. Remdesivir was proven to be safe and effective, quotes, safe and effective, against the Ebola virus in Africa in this 2019 study with the link. Then it said remdesivir was also proven safe and effective against COVID-19 in this small cohort study link here. And I was like, complete lies. What? And I was like, what in the world is remdesivir? And I was like, well, I guess they're not giving them vancomycin, but I don't know anything about this experimental drug the first thing I learned, Scott, right when I read this memo was in the very first sentence was, oh, my God, what are they giving these people? It's an experimental drug. It's not FDA approved. Hasn't gone through any review process to make sure it's almost safe or effective if they're going to actually make this claim. This is not an FDA reviewed drug. Why are they saying it was found safe and effective if it's not approved to be safe and effective by the FDA? So I was like, well, what does this guy, Anthony Fauci, know about this drug remdesivir I've never heard of? from these two studies he's quoting. So I am a retired chiropractor at this point. I decided I'm just going to click the links and read the studies. I have time. I'm at home. All I'm doing at home is trying to plot murders I can get away with, and I can't figure it out, Scott Sheriff. So <laughs> let me just read these Let me read these studies. And as I read the first study, couldn't believe it. This guy just in this memo said that remdesivir was proven safe and effective against the Ebola virus in this study. Link here. I click the link and read it. 
I can't believe it. It's a one-year study in Africa with four experimental drugs against a virus they're calling the Ebola virus, and the four drugs are these, remdesivir, ZMAP, MAB114, and a monoclonal antibody called Regeneron. These four drugs they are giving to different groups of people all over Africa for a year, and they want to know which drug has the best outcomes for stopping Ebola and preserving the life of the individual. What did they find and publish in this paper I'm reading, thanks to Anthony Fauci's hyperlink, what in the world do I learn in five minutes that of the four drugs, remdesivir was actually taken out of the drug trial because six months into the year-long trial, it had a 53% death rate, and it was the only drug that killed over 50% of everyone who was being treated for Ebola in Africa. And the safety board in August of 2019 said this drug will not continue in this trial. It is the most deadly and the most toxic drug in this trial. So they kicked it out. Now I'm like, oh, my God, this, remde- this remdesivir drug failed the trial in Ebola. But this guy, Dr. Anthony Fauci, is saying it was proven safe and effective in the trial. Uh, Scott, remdesivir was not found safe and effective. It was found to be toxic and deadly. The drug that was found to be the most safe and effective was a drug in the trial called Regeneron, which, by the way, happened to be one of the monoclonal antibodies people were using around the country to cure COVID, and that was banned by the FDA from all 50 states and the uh, territories and jurisdictions of the United States government (laughs) during COVID. Regeneron was the most effective against Ebola over remdesivir. Remdesivir was proven, or not proven, was was proven to be the most deadly and toxic but was chosen by Anthony Fauci to be the only allowed drug to be treated in hospitalized COVID-19 America. Now, what sucked also was when I read the three-month study for for COVID-19 with remdesivir that was also in this memo, I first learned it was not safe and effective against Ebola. So this guy, Anthony Fauci, is lying. Then number two, the actual trial for COVID-19 patients with remdesivir, the company that makes the drug remdesivir, their name is Gilead. Gilead was given a three-month trial to treat 53 patients from uh, all kinds of countries around the world with COVID. And what they published was within 10 days of giving these people a, the whole thing was we're going to give people 10 days of remdesivir if they PCR test positive for COVID. They gave these people 10 days of remdesivir. And then the, the company publishes their findings after 10 days of treatment for COVID using remdesivir, they find 31% of everyone they gave the drug to developed before day 10, multiple organ failure, acute kidney failure, septic shock, and lethal hypotension, low blood pressure. 10% of the people on the drug couldn't even take the drug for 10 days because by day 8, their kidneys had shut down and they required emergency kidney transplant surgeries. So now when I read these statistics, I'm like, oh, my God, these doctors in New York that I was just watching these interviews with keep saying they've never seen a virus go from the lungs and cause acute kidney failure like this one does. And what I realized, Scott, is these doctors had no clue that the drugs they were being forced to use by a guy named Anthony Fauci was creating acute kidney failure, multiple organ failure, proven in the own study of the people that make the drug, for God's sake. They published 31% of everybody they gave that drug to for COVID developed acute kidney failure and multiple organ failure. It wasn't the virus. It was the drug. So I, Scott Shera, I, Dr. Brian Artis, was sitting at my lap, reading this on my laptop in my dining room table in my home, 
May 18th, 2020. And when my wife walked through the door from a workout, she looked at me and she goes, what's wrong with you? And I said, you need to read this. And I spun my uh, laptop to her and she goes, I don't know what these are. And I took her through the two studies and she explained what they said. And she goes, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I couldn't save your dad. So I'm going to hire a publicist and see how many innocent Americans I can save. And this is really all I said, because in the memo on the NIH's website, it read, this is the only drug you can use. It's safe and effective. Third paragraph read, Scott Shera. Dr. Anthony Fauci has asked the federal government not to export this drug, remdesivir, to any other country until the end of 2020, meaning only Americans were going to be given the deadly drug remdesivir for the first year of the pandemic. No other country even used remdesivir or had rights to use remdesivir, a drug made in California. The federal government and Anthony Fauci worked out a deal that Gilead would actually only treat all Americans with their drug remdesivir. Not until the end of the first year of the pandemic will we send out remdesivir to any other country. Dr. Artis, I'm going to interrupt you because we've got to go to break. But when we come back from break, we are going to drill down some very specific questions about the scamdemic. My name is Scott Shera, and I am guest hosting Stand Up for the Truth today. And my wonderful guest is Dr. Brian Artis. And remember, you can also send your feedback, questions, or comments via email at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Comments at standupforthetruth.com. And we'll be posting our this podcast uh, next hour at standupforthetruth.com as well. Back in two minutes. W-O-R-Q, Green Bay, Fox Cities. The following program is a presentation of Lakeshore Communications, Inc. and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Lakeshore Communications, Inc., its sponsors or donors. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com I'm Scott Shera, and I am guest hosting Stand Up For The Truth today. My guest is Dr. Brian Artis. And before we went to break, I said we're going to come back with some questions. I'm going to set those questions up by making a bold statement. We have been lied to. And once you come to grips with that you've been lied to, this pandemic, scamdemic, whatever you want to call it, it was a success. It was a success for those who planned it. So Dr. Artis has done more research than me. Uh, he has discovered the same thing that you know we have three lanes of this scamdemic. We have the lie about the virus. We have the hospital murder lane, which right before we went to break, Dr. Artis explained why the United States has 1.2 million hospital murders in the 39-month COVID era, and we're number one on the planet. India is number two with 531,000 deaths, yet their population is four times that of the United States. And you heard why. It's because we restricted the death protocol to our own country on purpose. And then, of course, they did this all so they could get the bioweapon injected in 75% of the arms across America. So with that all being said, if you have come to grips that you have been lied to, there's some questions I would like to 
get out for Dr. Artis to answer that I think will help all of us. So the first one is courtesy of my wife. She says, how does a person break the fear created by the COVID narrative? It's now cold and flu season. And what's the recommended protocol for healing at home? Yeah, that's a great question by your wife. Uh, how do we how do we dismiss the fear related to COVID? The quickest way for me is actually, and I do it every stage I go to, including this weekend, both in Miami and Chicago. You need to need to kind of bring relevance and a bit of information that can kind of make you go, oh, and have an aha moment of, oh, I don't need to be afraid. You're right. Yeah, you don't need to be afraid. For example, uh, when it comes to COVID-19, you don't need to be afraid of any future variants. You don't need to be afraid of or even consider needing a vaccine for any reason uh, to combat COVID or any future variants at all whatsoever, especially moving into what they're going to try to cycle and call now the flu and cold season. Now they're going to try to include it to be the cold and flu and COVID season every year. You do not need to be afraid of COVID. Why? And most people who are living in panic and anxiety and fear, they just haven't realized something and they just need this moment to recognize. No matter what they've told you, no matter what they've shown you in the media, no matter what they've relayed to you through speech or through billboards or advertising, always remember, no matter how scared they tried to make you be of the COVID-19 virus, I need you to recognize something. As dangerous, as deadly, and infectious as you were told it was, 99.9% of everybody on the planet who got that virus or lived on this earth has survived COVID-19's lies and narrative. It was never as deadly or dangerous as they told you it was in the media, and you all survived. You're now hearing that Joe Biden says he's going to take another $500 million from Congress to make a vaccine finally that works. The truth is, why do you need one now that works? He's admitting now the others did not work. And if those did not work, what kept you alive during this entire last four years? God's immune system and natural immunity he gave you helped you survive whatever it is you believe COVID-19 is. If you're listening to this radio show, you're still alive. You did not die. You did not contract this deadly virus that killed you in a hospital. You were still alive. And you had vaccines if you received them that did not work, that the people who created them are telling you did not work. And so you do not need to live in fear of COVID-19 evermore in the future. God designed you perfectly. You survived. You lived it. You, you survived the worst pandemic ever articulated in the media in man's history. Right on. What about recommendations for home treatment protocols right now? Yeah, this is great. All right, so from the mouth of Dr. Brian Artis, and if you're wondering why it is I say this, there have been evolutions in the recommendations for COVID-19. I do have them, and they're very specific. If you want to learn how it is I came to these conclusions, the DrArtisShow.com is where you go. All right, so this is it. At this very moment, Scott Shera, I do one thing and one thing only every single day to make sure I am able to prevent any future COVID-19 variant symptoms. I wear a three and a half size milligram patch of nicotine every single day. If I didn't do that, then I would chew a two milligram nicotine gum. Why? It has been proven over and over and over since April of 2020, the number one antidote for what they call the spike protein of COVID 
which is on every variant of COVID from alpha to Omicron, it doesn't matter, those spike proteins target nicotine receptors and nicotine found in tobacco plants, eggplants, cauliflower, celery, tomatoes, potatoes. Nicotine is the perfect antidote to block all spike proteins from causing symptoms, and spike proteins are on every supposed variant of COVID. Yes, so I remember. Number one. Go ahead. Nicotine's number one. Number two would be either EDTA or food-grade hydrogen peroxide every day. And then number three would be apple pectin powder. And the reason why you're hearing things that sound different than before is because we have learned from geneticists what the COVID-19 virus really is. And it is the weaponizing of synthetically engineered spike proteins that are actually identical to snake venom proteins. They call spike proteins. And to, in order to release venoms, you use nicotine, which is why smokers never got COVID. Number two, this is what you need is something to break the spike protein or venom in pieces, which is what food-grade hydrogen peroxide and EDTA do. And then number three, you use apple pectin powder as a binder to, to hold on to the venom so your body will poop it out, sweat it out, cough it out to get it out of your body finally. This is what I recommend at a basics. Then you get to the things like vitamin C, which would be 5,000 milligrams a day. Uh, if you're a medical professional of some sort and you like ivermectin, ivermectin has the same action as nicotine, only nicotine's 30 times more powerful at preventing the illness of COVID than ivermectin is. But ivermectin does do the same thing with nicotine receptors. Thank you for that. I'm going to give a little bit of a longer intro for this next question, but before I do, I'm Scott Shera, and I'm guest hosting Stand Up For The Truth today, and my guest is Dr. Brian Artis. So before the break, you went through how the medical profession is programmed to follow NIH protocols without doing the simple clicks that you did to figure out that these protocols are going to kill people. Society has been programmed to follow the white coat, a doctor wrote me in July after hearing me on an interview, and he said, Scott, you need to realize we have not taken or followed the Hippocratic Oath for 30 years now. So this programming is deep. I'll give you an example. In September, after the latest booster was announced on Fox News, one of the listeners wrote in in the chat, quote, I got my sixth shot yesterday. My doctor told me my heart problems are not from the shots, end quote. So wrap your head around this. That means the person is programmed to keep taking shots. You know as well as I do the vaccine narrative was part of the setup. RFK Jr. exposed that no vaccine has ever been tested. The recent data, just the newest data, is that only about 2% of the people are now taking the new COVID booster, yet you hear regularly that, quote, I'm going to get my flu shot, end quote. My wife, Cindy, knows of a lady who did just that, and they combined it with the COVID bioweapon. So now we've got hospital protocols, standards of care, along with the COVID jab, and all of this has made America's number one cause of death medical murder. We have 
literally a 24% increase in all-cause mortality of the jabbed. We have a 13% increase in all-cause mortality of the entire population. A study I just read this morning, this is a worldwide autopsy study, showed that 73.9% of the deaths after vaccination are due to the vaccine. So with that introduction, two questions. What do families need to know to protect themselves when dealing with the medical industrial complex? And then number two, how do we get what we know about the medical industrial complex out to the masses? Yeah, these are both great questions. Uh, 22 years ago, it started for me. Uh, I have five children. Uh, the oldest is 22 years old. But when I had my first kid 22 years ago, I wanted to know how do I take care of my family. There was no instruction booklet given to me of how to be a parent and raise a family and keep them healthy. So I decided when I first had my children to have health insurance companies come to my home and quote me health insurance because I figured I needed it, right? So I have these five companies come in giving me quotes, and uh, each of them gave me these same quotes. They said this, it's going to cost you, with you and your children, it's going to cost you uh, $5,000 of a uh, deductible before we pay out, but there's going to be a 500 to 700 to 900 to even 1100 one of the companies, 1100 a month uh, premium that you're going to have to pay. And I looked at each one of them, and I went like this, look, I want you all to do the math for me. I want you to add up each of the monthly premiums and then my deductible. And I want you to tell me what that total is per year of what I have to pay you before you're going to pay for any services from a medical professional or institution like a hospital. And so they all did the math, and it was like 1000 to 1500 bucks a month I was going to have to pay. Uh, and then it was, uh, they gave me estimates of 12000 to $15,000 a year with the premiums and the deductibles, and I would go like this. So you want me to give you twelve dollars to $15,000 a year before you pay a dollar towards any medical help? Yes. And then I looked at each other and I went like this. Did you see the trampoline in my backyard? You know what? I'm going to bank that one of my kids are going to break their arms or legs twice a year, and I'm going to take them to the ER. Do you know what it costs the average American out-of-pocket with cash for a complete ER visit? And they said, no, each one of them. No, we don't know. I said, it's 2500 bucks. So even if my kid or kids broke their arms twice a year and I had to pay out $2,500 twice for cash visits to the ER, how much money would I save versus having your health insurance and paying you for health insurance? And they'd go, uh, $10,000 before your deductible would go out. I'd go, right, before you'd ever pay a dime. Why would I pay you guys $15,000 a year for health insurance for me and my family as a self-employed individual, why would I do that if I'm going to bank on two ER visits every year for the next 18 years with these kids and I'm only going to lose $5,000 in cash? I could see myself saving eight to $10,000 a year by not paying you for health insurance. And so I never carried health insurance, ever. For the last 22 years of being a parent, I've never had health insurance. And I have paid cash for MRIs, CT scans, and ER visits at multiple times, maybe five times total with five kids and a wife over the last 22 years. And I have saved a ton of money not doing that. Number two, I have fired medical doctors and nurses probably 10 times in my adult life. If you're in a hospital, you, you patient, you family member of a patient have more rights than any medical doctor or employee or staff member of that hospital does. So if you don't like something that a medical doctor or nurse's staff member tells you that you need to do 
for yourself or the loved one in the bed that you're there for, and you don't like it, you have every right to look at every medical doctor and staff member of a hospital and say these words out loud, you are fired. Find me someone else. Now, by law, the individual has to walk out of the room, contact the hospital staff to reassign another hospital staff member, either attending doctor or nurse, in your care. And you can fire them one after another, one after another, until they bring someone in who is willing to listen to you, work with you, talk you through informed consent on the protocols or drugs they're trying to administer to you. And I have fired doctors literally since I was 22 years old in hospital rooms for me and my children. I have fired them over and over and over if I didn't like what they said. And then they would leave, and then they'd find me another one. If you don't have the ability to confront people that way, you need to have a hospital advocate working with you. Before COVID, Scott, every hospital had a hospital advocate. When the COVID lockdown started, they actually dismissed them all. So people didn't even know they had an advocate there to help them navigate the hospital protocols, the ethics committee meetings in the hospitals that people, most of them don't know anything about. But if you want to challenge hospital protocols, you have what's called a, a ethics committee meeting with the hospital administrators, the attending doctors, the nurses. And you as the patient or the family of the patient can actually assist in a meeting to rewrite the protocols and share your upsets and concerns and what the next steps are going to be together as a team. If you don't know how to do that, you better have an advocate on your side because ever since I launched the Dr. Artist Show with all the documents for hospital protocols to help people around the world, I knew that most people didn't know about firing abilities of patients of doctors and hospitals if you don't like their protocols. I have already known that you can actually get advocates to assist you to rewrite the protocols, work with the doctors that maybe speak on a different level than you think you can. So I hired individuals, had them work with me, and now that's kind of morphed into a big team of 39 different advocates in a group called GraveCare.com. If you need help navigating waters medically, even if you're not in a hospital, you just have doctors you're working with in their clinics, you need to have an advocate, and you can go to GraveCare.com to have those. Number one, you have more rights than they do. It's your body. It's your life. It's your loved one. You dictate the health and what happens to them, not anybody else, not, a, not an insurance company, not a hospital, not a doctor, definitely not a nurse, definitely not an administrator of that hospital. You are the ones in charge, and you need to find people, fire them if they're not going to be this way. You need to have people in your corner that are there to listen to you, wanting to work with you, and will truly give you informed consent not judge you, not shame you, and want to assist you. These are the most powerful tools I could ever give you. And if you don't know how to do that on your own, not confident enough to do that on your own, hire an advocate, a hospital or patient advocate. You can find those at gracecare.com, for sure. Well done. How do we get this message, not just about advocacy, but to wake people up so that they know they've been lied to? How do we get that out to the masses? Yeah, this has been one question you've consistently asked me, Scott, since the time we met. How do I get the message out about the warnings about the hospital, the story of my daughter, Grace, who's been murdered, the story of your father-in-law who's been murdered in a hospital? And the truth is, you just have to start showing up. So it's either going to be through radio interviews, you're going to hire a publicist, you're going to go to city council meetings, you're going to go to hospital board meetings, which happen monthly or quarterly, and you're going to go there and you have the right to testify, voice, you're going to do interviews with the newspapers, you're going to do interviews online with podcasters, you're going to show up if you are motivated 
to get the message out. Nothing's going to stop you. When the British were coming, Paul Revere did not say, it's too dark for me. It's a horse. (laughs) It's in the middle of the night. I'm not really sure I should warn everyone in the colonies that the British are coming. No, you just act. And you show up, show up at rallies. You, You talk to your loved ones. You call them on the phone. You email them. You text them the realities. Like, for example, this one. Did you know that just in September 23rd of this year, just two weeks ago, September 23rd, 2023, was the date in which they stopped incentivizing hospitals, finally, with a 20% bonus to murder Americans older than 60 with remdesivir? The Centers for Medicare Medicaid Services were still offering bonus payouts to hospitals to kill American senior citizens older than 60 with a drug called remdesivir, they were bribing them with a 20% add-on bonus that just ended September 23rd. I'd like to ask a question. Why was that still enacted when the national emergency of COVID-19 for America was dismissed in the second week of May of this year? Why did they allow hospitals to continue to be bribed with a 20% add-on bonus for the whole hospital stay if you just give senior citizens a, a drug called remdesivir for 10 days that is published to cause acute kidney failure and death and over 50% of people they give it to. Yeah. Uh, this kind of information, when I read it back in May, when I saw the national emergency dropped, but they were going to continue to allow these drugs to be incentivized to hospitals with a 20% bonus from our government. Uh, you think I shut up, Scott? You think I sat back and was like, that's okay. They should keep letting them pump that drug into innocent Americans. no, I told my show producer, you reach out to every media outlet we've talked to in the last three years, and you make sure I want every single one of them to make sure they know. And that's just what you do. You just show up. You just speak. The only way that we hurt each other is by not speaking. Right on. Showing up for them. Well, thanks Thanks for that. have to speak. We have uh, about five minutes left, and I, I have a closing question for you that I want to make sure you answer, but I want to get at least give one more question in. So... The pandemic has appeared to be over for a long time, but it is just the eye of the real storm, I believe. So do you have any hypotheses as to what might be coming next from the people and organizations who were behind COVID? Uh, I really do. So the COVID narrative's dying. Once we expose that it's the weaponizing of venoms, I literally told my wife a year and a half ago, when this Watch the Water documentary drops and all the interviews I'm going to do about the venom aspect of COVID, they're going to have to change their tune. They're going to have to drop this pandemic in the next year. They will. It's going to die in the next 12 months, which it did. And I said, then they're going to start turning to a hemorrhagic-type virus and supply chain issues to try to scare us. That's going to be their next things. So the next things they're already whispering about are two, Marburg virus and Ebola virus, which operate identically. So no one on the planet needs to be afraid of those either. We actually already showed the whole world at my Healing for the Ages conference in September what the natural cures for Marburg and Ebola are published to be. And it's as simple as this, actually. They've already published, Scott, that Marburg virus and Ebola are beat with one ingredient found inside of grapefruits and tomatoes. So you don't have to be afraid of this either. You don't need Pfizer. You don't need Moderna. You don't need a federal government. You don't need a mask. There's actually food and substances God put in them to actually prevent all weaponized viruses, venoms, pandemic viruses, whatever they're going to create and try to poison us with. There's already natural antidotes. The Healing for the Ages, we taught you how to do that and navigate the future pandemics. Marburg will be the next one. What is the website 
the website people can go to to get your Healing for the Ages seminar to download? It's cool. Yep, go to healingfortheages.com, and that's where you actually download it, purchase it. If you use the, uh, there might be a discount code for you, Scott. I'm not sure what it is, but it's probably Grace. And if it is, G-R-A-C-E, put that in. If that doesn't work, it's supposed to give you $50 off. If that doesn't work, put in Artis, my last name, A-R-D-I-S. It'll take $50 off of the actual purchase price, which is only $199. Scott, the next thing they are definitely going to be using, they experimented during the last four years. In order to create the COVID symptoms, they needed 5G radiation to do it. Yes, I had that as a question. So how does that tie in? They used 5G to increase how fast bacteria and yeast replicate in our bodies and in our environment and in our farms and in our water systems. And 5G radiation since the year 2000, when they turn it on, it makes bacteria replicate twice as fast, actually 20 times as fast, and they've weaponized bacteria and yeast, Scott, Shara, and your audiences. You need to pay attention to what I'm about to say. There was no virus for COVID. They used what is called DNA plasmids that get inside of our cells, bacteria cells, and yeast cells and manufacture spike proteins that they call a respiratory virus. It is not. It is weaponized venom proteins that bacteria and yeast manufacture using something called plasmids. 5G radiation since the year 2000, they have been testing against bacteria and yeast in the environment and in our bodies. Once DNA plasmids gets inside the bacteria and yeast, they turn on 5G, you replicate bacteria and yeast faster in your body. And while we were locked down, we were eating sugar, carbs, drinking alcohol, eating like crap, and that sugar feeds the bacteria and the yeast. And when they turned on 5G, they replicate 20 times faster, replicating and producing more venom proteins called spike proteins. And this is exactly what they are going to do this month, next month, to create every future pandemic, every flu and cold season, every COVID-19 season. And you've got to get the information from the Healing for the Ages. We have presented all the ways to protect you and your families from EMF radiation, 5G radiation, how to eliminate the bacteria and yeast out of your diet and out of your bodies. So they cannot orchestrate this again. Outstanding. We have one minute left. Here's my final question for you. If all 300 million people in America were listening to you right now, what would you tell them to wake them up? I would tell them all 100% right now to wake, to wake them up. Okay, I think you did a great job by saying you're being lied to. You're all being lied to. I mean, that's number one. But number two, if I was going to say something to wake them up, you need to listen to Scott Shera. Follow Scott Shera and uh, on his podcast and at this you know, this radio show you're on right now. And you need to go to the Dr. Artist Show. And you need <laughs> to show up and not avoid other humans. When they tell you to avoid humans, don't hug them unless they get a vaccine or a shot or a drug product. You say no. I'm going to go hug my family. We have been a human family for millennia. We do not need a vaccine. Human beings have outlived every plague on earth to get to the point in which they live right now, which is us right now on the earth. And we've never had vaccines until 140 years ago. we got to wrap Thanks. it up here. Got 10 seconds here. Thanks for coming on. It was a real blessing, Dr. Artis. 